the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Welcome to Panhandle Live on the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST. Panhandle Live is brought to you by Country Roads Tire and Auto, taking you home with full-service auto care, with a higher level of care, with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg and Hedgesville. Online, too, at CountryRoadsTireOnline.com. Here's your host, Marsha Kavalik. And Luke Wiggs is along for the ride as well as you're tuned in to Panhandle Live, the Tuesday, September 26th edition. We're broadcasting live from the Hoppy Kirchival building, and Panhandle Live, as always, is driven by Country Roads, Tire, and Auto. And as always, a packed show, Marsha, and let's go ahead and get into our first segment and our Abs- first two guests. Absolutely. We have in studio Katie Spriggs from the Eastern Panhandle Empowerment Center, Epic. Uh, and joining via phone is Paul Johansson from the Star Theater. He owns uh, the Star with his his uh, wife uh, over in Berkeley Springs. Welcome into both of you. Well, thank you. Yes, thanks for having us. So uh, we wanted to bring you in because uh, this Saturday is going to be a special event. We're going to get started uh, with you, Paul, if you don't mind. Uh, you're going to be screening The Sound of Freedom. And then as uh, after that is done, uh, Katie's going to be presenting um, a discussion called Human Trafficking Here uh, from 4 to 6 uh, p.m. So talk about, uh, you know, the, the nexus of this, what, what's bringing this to the star. Wow. Um, let's see. Well, just so people understand what the star is, we are a historic theater, a vintage theater built in 1928, um, and we've been lovingly restoring it for a long time. Uh, we just installed a new surround sound system, so all the movies that are out have a chance to really be heard the way they were meant to. That's uh, the cool. The sound system was 1949. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. <laughs> movies have changed a lot since then. Uh, but to answer your question, um, we noticed that there was um, both a mix of controversy around this movie and what we felt was an incredibly important topic. Um, and there were some people that saying, okay, we will show it or we, wouldn't, we won't show it or we should. And what we decided is that what really mattered is to live our mission at the theater, which is this is a community engagement. So we brought the movie in, and because there was so much response and gratitude to bringing it, um, we decided to turn into what is it that is drawing people to this movie um, and give them a chance to get the expertise, the knowledge that will help them participate in what they've just been emotionally uh, brought into having a lot of concern for. So human trafficking and child trafficking obviously will uh, rivet people. Um, they'll feel helpless, uh, concerned, scared, angry. Um, and rather than just leave them in that state, we reached out. Katie, um, other friends offered, and Katie has really followed through um, bringing expertise to our small little town. Uh, so we're hoping we're going to have a packed house and people will learn how to participate, watch, care for their neighbors. Um, and that's what our driver's been. 
So Does the, that help to give context? Absolutely. See so the synopsis of the of the Sound of Freedom film. Uh, after rescuing a boy from ruthless child traffickers, a federal agent learns the boy's sister is still captive, decides to embark on a dangerous mission to save her. With time running out, he quits his job and journeys deep into the Colombian jungle, putting his life on the line to free her from a fate worse than death. Uh, so obviously this is a, a something that, as you mentioned, folks are going to come away from impacted uh, and and questioning how they could prevent this or help. Um, so uh, kudos to you guys for for bringing this uh, this film and and uh, and the ensuing discussion. So let's bring Katie into to the discussion. We've had you on before, mm-hmm. uh, and one of the things that I think uh, is always remarkable when you uh, talk about this is uh, human trafficking looks different than some people might think, and it's mm-hmm. closer than you think. For sure, yeah. And I think that's the value of having a community conversation like this, like Paul said, in a small town, because what trafficking looks like in Berkeley Springs and Morgan County is even different than what it looks like in Berkeley County, Martinsburg, um, and much different than it looks like in the Columbian Rainforest. Um, but then also in Baltimore, it looks so it really is kind of culturally different. Um, and there are certain trends that we see in Appalachia that you might not see in other places. So that's really what we're going to focus on is number one, what is sex and labor trafficking actually? Um, and then what does it actually look like here? And, and what can we do? Broadly, when mm-hmm. we're talking about human trafficking, mm-hmm. what's the working definition? Sure. So two main forms, sex and labor, both very similar definitions. It's essentially using force, fraud, or coercion um, to force someone into a sex or labor act um, in which they're profiting, the trafficker is profiting from that act. And the profit could be money. It could be anything of value. It could be votes. It could be, I mean, really anything that we as a society value or hold value in, um, they can use to benefit from sex or labor trafficking. Uh, We have seen at Epic more instances of sex trafficking. I don't think that that means that labor trafficking isn't happening here. But that comes through your lens, right? That That's right. who's coming through your doors. Right, because it often intersects with domestic violence and sexual assault, so people know that they can come to us. I'm not so sure that like farm migrant laborers who are being labor trafficked would make that same connection. So that's obviously something we're looking at deeply is how do we find these people? Um, but for now, that is what we see more of. Well, and asking you the obvious here, I mean, in your discussions with people in the area, do you feel as though that the issue of trafficking is one that people just aren't as educated as they should be on? Oh, for sure. And I think often people will think that they know what it is um, from a movie or not even this, this 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 movie. I mean, we saw Taken take the world right over when that movie came out. Um, and those are examples of one form of human trafficking, which is valuable. We got to talk about it. But mm-hmm. there are so many other forms. And I know in speaking with you before mm-hmm. I, in previous interviews, uh, it's it, it sometimes looks very innocent. It's hard to pick up on the cues. It's someone that you might run into at the grocery store or the gas station. You really don't know that they're being coerced into a particular lifestyle or job. Right. And if we want to talk human trafficking prevention, I think it looks a lot different than people think it looks. It looks like homelessness prevention. It looks like access to food and water and parenting and like access because that's who we see trafficked are the people who the most vulnerable, the people who um, wouldn't be noticed if they go missing or if they start acting differently or if they have this guy that's all around all the time now. Um, So we're looking at the people who are most vulnerable, which isn't usually how it's portrayed in the media, right? Because that's how you sell movie tickets. Um, But all of it is valuable. We have to talk about all forms of human trafficking. Well, hats off to the folks at the Star Theater then, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, Trey and Paul, for bringing this and, um, you know, bringing awareness to it. So, uh, Paul, 
I know that you guys probably put on uh, 85, 90% real heartwarming, happy movies uh, to bring this in uh, is, is an investment in the community. What, do you, what did you know about the work of Epic before you kind of forged this partnership? Um, actually, honestly, very little. A little bit. We're certainly aware of Eastern Panhandle. Um, we've uh, we sponsored them before as a charity, I believe, as a coffee house. Mm-hmm. And we have um, been in contact enough to know that there are people in the community that are doing the work we want to be associated and affiliated with. Um, beyond that, um, because of the response to the movie, um, what I've noticed is there's tremendous political division in our times, and people don't trust simply because of the source sometimes. And what I personally noticed is when we stop listening, I think we make it more possible for people who want to do harm to get away with it because we're not able to go to the people who might have some knowledge because we're not supposed to talk to them or something like that. Um, so providing a venue like this for me is about uh, welcoming the entire community into the theater, uh, getting to know each other. And because we're a single community and we're unified, we start sharing. Um, and Katie has really provided, and she's really walked into the opening for this so that people can come ask the questions that are sitting with uh, and get the information that will allow them to move from a sense of helplessness maybe uh, into participating action and a sense of something that I, I'm, I'm not alone. Uh, and that's that's been the driver of this particular. And we also have Braver Angels coming later in the month. Same thing. Get people together, talk, get to know each other. I so hope that I filled it up. Absolutely. So, Paul, before we have to let you go, I do want to get some some uh, information about dates and times and some of the other offerings that start the year. But uh, ah. before we do that, I do want to talk to Katie about um, what you guys are doing over at Epic. Would folks in the community who maybe just drive by not really understand what all the work looks like to, um, in your in Epic. Oh yeah, and I think we're still suffering from just the COVID barrier that we all hit, and we haven't fully at Epic recovered our outreach. We were just talking about this internally yesterday. That like, when's the last time anyone went and talked to the community? We were like, we need to do that. We've just been surviving, right? We've been mm-hmm. keeping the shelter open. We've been trying not to have people be harmed and just living. Um, so I think this can help us get back out there. Um, I agree with Paul. I think people ask us all the time, how can we get involved? How can we help? And he is modeling that perfectly. I always say you do what you do, but you do it for survivors. So he's showing a movie. That's what he does, right? Mm-hmm. That's what a theater does. And Perfect. it brings people all together <laughs> and gives us a topic to talk about. So um, what are your numbers like right now? We And on an average, we serve 1,600 survivors a year, but we serve domestic violence, sexual assault, stalking, and human trafficking um, across Jefferson, Berkeley, and Morgan. So we have a pretty big service area, but that is a pretty big number. Um, human trafficking, we still see about 100, 150 survivors each year. I want to bring the conversation back to, to Paul uh, Johansson with the historic Star Theater in Berkeley Springs. Uh, talk about the the screening of the film this Saturday and uh, and the discussion after, and then I'm going to ask you about some of the rest of the calendar. You got it. Um, screening of the show, we're going to have the movie again at 2 p.m. We've checked with the studio, so they know what we're doing, of course. And um, I will let people know ahead of time that there's going to be a panel. Uh, and half of the proceeds of what we're collecting is going to Eastern Empowerment, Eastern Panhandle Empowerment Center. Um, and so I want people to understand they're already participating in the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you wanted to was there more on that? yeah absolutely yeah i just wanted to give you a chance because we don't get to talk to you guys that much and i need to change that um what else what else do you have going on uh for the fall and and into the into the christmas holiday into the christmas well of (laughs) course it's october coming so we're focused on uh ghouls and goonies right Mm now um we do have a lot of laughter movies i remember what you said at the front end but of course uh theater is pretty broad so we have uh Sad, heartwarming. Jules just recently. We are a first-run movie theater now. Wow. Uh, we still do show. We have a nonprofit that does show vintage theaters. Uh, that has its own board. Um, and then we have live acts. We had Martin Landau Murphy last year for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, upcoming in the very near term, we've got Swami Beyond Ananda live comedy. Uh, so we're letting people know about that. On October 10th, we had a um, a journalist and if you're welcome to join i assume that is in charleston they're surveying citizens around the state and they picked us as a place to stop to say what are your concerns about the state about the world about your community what is it you need and it's meant to be the open-ended um giving a chance to people to speak and get that into the media that goes to our politicians look at you being being more than just a, a community theater Serving popcorn and and some movies. Well, uh, Paul, thanks for joining us. How can folks find out more about the historic Star Theater? You can you can go to startheaterwv.com and uh, look at uh, both the nonprofit and the main theater. Uh, ticks are all uh, at the top. It divides it into the two. And our other big event that I'm really pressing hard on: please come and get to know the neighbors you don't understand. Our Braver Angels workshop is going. It's sponsored. We just know about it, but it's going to be at a local Presbyterian church, and we're sending people there. Uh, but we've been working with them for almost a year now. Perfect. So, uh, Paul, right. thanks thanks for being on, and don't be a stranger. Won't be. No, call us any time. We're just uh, a little too busy sometimes, so I'm here. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Well, thanks for taking some time today. And, Katie, how can folks find out more about the work at EPIC? Sure. EPIC, E-P-E-C-W-V.org is our website. Um and are we always keeping our social medias updated? We're on the big ones, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat. Um, and obviously you can come out to the Star Theater on Saturday and hear more about us. Because we'll, I sit on the panel as well as one of our advocates. Nice. And don't be a stranger as well. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. More Panhandle Live after this quick break. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. Welcome back into Panhandle Live for this Tuesday. And I'll tell you something that's really interesting. It's it's interesting with local issues when they intermingle and interwoven with things that we hear uh, on a national standpoint, Marsha, because the Fox News update at the top of every hour has been uh, what President Biden is doing going up to Detroit and talking with strikers from the UAW in that situation. Mm-hmm. and. That's obviously something that's hitting very close to home. Right. Uh, It was announced last Friday that the union president uh, was calling on more units to uh, be part of the strike. And among those, 38 new ones joined uh, the strike line, uh, including a a union in Winchester uh, in front of a Stellantis, uh, I guess, it's not a plant or is it a plant? Um, facility, mm-hmm. I'll say. Let's say facility. And then, of course, the GM Parts uh, Distribution uh, Center here in Martinsburg. You went out. You actually were able to see a couple of different areas where folks were picketing. 
And uh, and then you also talked to the union president, Vanessa Banks. Yeah, I got the chance to talk to some of the picketers. Obviously, they didn't want their comments to be aired without the permission of their president. But they said, you know, we've been here since Friday at noon. We're going to continue 24 hours a day until what we feel as though a, a solution is resolved. Uh, and I got to speak to the president of local chapter 1590, Vanessa Banks, who kind of started the conversation by talking about exactly what the GM plant in Martinsburg does and then kind of aired the grievances as the interview went on. So we supply the dealers, mm-hmm. all the dealerships. So when they order parts to maintain maintenance, uh, wrecks, which, whichever, <laughs> <laughs> that's where we get. That's where they get their parts from. Obviously, this is something that's been ongoing the last several weeks uh, with UAW. I mean, does the local 1590 kind of have a, an official statement of what's going on from a national perspective? Since the 2009 bankruptcy, we went. 10 years plus without a raise because we were trying to help them out. That's what they said. And they said they would in turn make sure that we were compensated for that, which never happened. On our last contract, um, we got a 2% raise. We were trying to end the tier wages. They started paying less to people coming in. So we had three different tiers of wages, and and it got less, Mm. not more. (laughs) So we're trying to end that, and we're also trying to regain our COLA, which would have really helped us through this inflation that we've been going through. Um, Also, to maintain our insurance, we we do have good insurance, but whenever you go through a contract like this, you start negotiating from ground zero. So you start with absolutely nothing, try to regain some of the things you have, and make improvements on the things that we've lost. Since I've been there for 23 years, each contract we have lost Mm. significantly. (laughs) So we're trying to turn some things around. We're off. The people that are coming in the door right now are making less than they're hiring down the street at Rutterers. So it used to be a place where people wanted to come work. I'm not saying necessarily give them retirement. We, the older ones, which they call traditional, mm-hmm. that make the better wages and they have retirement. I'm actually seeing what they do for the new ones that are coming in the doors. They give them a six point, I think it's 75 percent with their personal savings plan so it's actually a a pretty decent plan for them and a lot of them like that so um but i think they're still pushing for them to have a pension what do you think could be done uh for local representatives that could potentially be hearing this local representatives or for you know the congressmen in this area i mean what what, is there anything that you feel as though you'd want to be said to uh, our local elected officials Well, I think they should stand behind the union. The union has established a lot of good things like OSHA, um, a 40-hour work week, uh, things like that, and get rid of the right-to-work state. That can go any day. The union is also beneficial. If they are – when we are making a decent wage, everyone around us is making a decent wage. Right now, we're not at that point. We have no buying power like we used to. So when these companies are sending our work to other countries, it's not helping the Americans 
at all. I mean, it, it Michigan, it ran them down when they started moving all of the work to Mexico and other places. It totally devastated towns. They had nothing. Small businesses had to leave, too. So that, those are the things. If they stand by and support us with the EVs coming in, uh, the plants that are doing the batteries help get them unionized so that they can make a decent wage. They're coming in also at making like $17 an hour, which you and I know you cannot support a family on that. Um, I'm asking you the obvious question here from the, the workers that you've talked to. And I, I went over and talked to a couple of, I mean, is uh, the resolve high for you guys? I mean, you're in this for the long haul to, to, you know, to make sure things get fixed. Absolutely. This the union was a bit corrupt, so all of them are gone. They're paying their their price now for the wrongdoings that they're doing. And this president comes in, and he's trying to fix all of the things that have gone wrong because they just laid down – I think they just laid down and, and let things happen. Mm-hmm. They already had their pockets full, just like the corporates have their pockets full too. Absolutely. They got a, a 40% increase. And wages. Now, when you're talking, you're already making 20-some million and you get a 40%, that's pretty significant. <laughs> so it's not the union that's hurting the economy in any way or the increase in cars. It's them. You know what I'm talking about. It's corporate greed. Even our management in the plant know that if we do better, they do better. You know, is there anything else that you want to touch on? I just wanted to make sure I get you the chance to say everything that you want to say. Did I also say that the retirees haven't had an increase? It's more than 10 years, so they're suffering. So they, they deserve an increase, too. They've started make, they started making them pay for their insurance, which is they gave them a, an increase and then made them pay for their insurance, which kind of made that a negative. They need support, too. So, again, those were the comments of uh, local 1590 President Vanessa Banks. And like they said, that uh, that, that, that strike's not going to stop until the issue is resolved. She had said that, you know, time after time, the contracts have been renegotiated and the workers have lost. And that is not going to be the case this time. It's fascinating to watch it, especially if you went through the whole um, rebuilding of some of those automakers that declared you know bankruptcy mm-hmm. or got into trouble and needed a bailout back, back in the early uh, 2000s. Um, you know, she's, I think they're coming with some receipts now. Absolutely. So, um, very interesting. And, uh, obviously the automakers have to balance out, you know, their shareholders interests and, uh, you know, they have other options too. Uh, obviously some, um, manufacturing goes overseas. Uh, so I, I'm sure the folks who are trying to mediate this are st- trying to strike a balance. And there's an interesting shift in the state in terms of obviously as blue as West Virginia was until the 90s, mm-hmm. how it was a pro-union state and how that kind of was dissolved in the early 2000s. And then blue-collar workers now starting to shift their attention and their political voting power to the Republican Party and how receptive our state Republicans going to be of unions, you know, with that being a Democratic issue for so many years. So there's just so many different things at play. And of course, you know, people forget that when things like this happen, I mean, these people have gone on strike and aren't going to be receiving paychecks for mm-hmm. a while, that there's a lot of people living check to check that are taking time out of their schedules now to 
to hold up a sign and make sure the people are aware at Route 9 and hope this issue gets resolved. But as we continue to struggle, and it's something that when we get to talk to Brad McElhaney here in just a moment, obviously talking about the governor's finances, but he also wrote a story about uh, Senator Capito's comments on the shutdown, how many people are going to be affected by a potential government shutdown as well, as while we're kind of lost in this grand, you know, slug it out between union presidents and organizations across the country and these big auto manufacturers, we kind of tend to overlook the people that salaries are going to go on hold for weeks or months until these issues are resolved. Well said. And, you know, there are folks that you'll listen to on even these airwaves that will say, um, let the government get shut down Mm. because that means that things will get done. Uh, but but that will affect people even who aren't contractors or employees of the federal government. If you if you uh, take in services from the federal government, or you need to go get your social security card reprinted or your passport renewed, uh, it it will have some ancillary you know drill down effects. So um, the the big news distills down locally. It absolutely does. And speaking of local news, nobody knows local news better than Brad McElhaney. And we'll be talking to him on the other side of this break on Panhandle Live. You're listening to Panhandle Live on WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs. Scratch my back with lightning. Welcome back to Panhandle Live for this Tuesday, Tuesday edition of the 26th of September. I'm Luke Wiggs, Marshall Kavalik alongside. And of course, Marshall, we've got our next guest joining us on the phone. You know him. You love him. He's statewide Metro News uh, correspondent Brad McElhaney. Welcome in. Oh, hi. Very nice. That's such good praise. <laughs> Poppy never says he loves me. Aww, sorry about that. You know, but, you know, it's a, probably a bro thing, I guess. Coming from the Hoppy Kirchhoff building. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so great. it's related, right? Related separates. Um, so you've been so busy, and folks can always look at your work at wvmetronews.com, but one of the freshest pieces has to do with the governor's finances as he had uh, he was compelled to report in his run for U.S. Senate. Yes, and we have been waiting for this report for a long time. It is a federally mandated report for sitting senators. So Senator Manchin and Senator Capito filed these, uh, as well as for candidates. And it's meant for the people, you, the the voters, the constituents, to be able to look at your elected representatives or candidates in the Senate to determine, well, what are what are the financial pressures they might face? Uh, do they have any conflicts? And and you can, this can be a, a factor in the way you make that assessment. So Governor Justice uh, got an extension of 90 days and then went past that extension finally hit a period where there would have been a minimal fine, $200, and and they filed about 5.30 yesterday afternoon. Going in, there were, there were a couple of questions that I had. The, the governor, during his particularly early political days, characterized himself as a businessman, somebody who had, who had acumen and experience in the business world and could translate that experience to government. And then secondly, he is running for U.S. Senate. Uh, it's expensive to do. He is going up against other candidates who may have uh, significant financial resources. And so I wondered if Justice could or would be able to do a certain amount of self, self-financing of that campaign. A, a glimpse inside this report would cast doubt on both of those questions. The, the governor 
mainly lists his salaries as being the governor, also, although he says he donates that to the Department of Education, brings in $3,500 a year as coach of the Greenbrier East girls basketball team. There's listing after listing after listing of, of assets, and most of them are, are companies within the Justice family's business network. And what's a little bit challenging to decipher here is each of those is listed generally with significant value. Uh, some of the coal companies, for example, are listed as having a value up to $50 million dollars. You go over to the next frame in, in the form that he has filled out, and it, it asks you the question, well, what is the income from that? And more often than not, the answer is none. So a, a lot of assets value, but I'm coming from them. Uh, and on the reverse side, there's, there's a separate section of, well, what are your liabilities? Who do you owe money to? And it's in the millions of dollars. Many of these have been in the news piecemeal already. They are, they are claims generally by companies or entities that have been in businesses, in business with the justice, who feel that they've been wrong, that, that their, the justice end of whatever deal was not carried out. And so they have sued, and they potentially are cashing in on personal guarantees that, that Jim Justice has made. So millions of dollars potentially in liability that way. And then a couple of lines that, that really pop some eyebrows among those of us who were reading this form carefully. Uh, you may know the name Bray Carey. Uh, Bray Carey is a, a successful businessman in his own right and has also been involved both in West Virginia broadcasting he hosts the Decision Makers program uh, on, on some of the next star stations for quite a few years and became Justice's senior advisor, a, a relatively unpaid or minimally paid senior advisor for several years. Uh, ironically, when, when Brick Harry hosted that program, uh, he was one of the regulars and just knocking Jim Justice, the candidate, around about Justice's inability or, or unwillingness to pay debts. Nevertheless, they became unlikely allies. And what this report shows is Bray Carey providing, providing loans of $1 million to $5 million. It gives, it gives a window. Um, about the time he was leaving Justice's official capacity, uh, so one, one personal loan and then another loan of the same range of, of financial amounts one to five million dollars from the Carey Foundation, which is also associated with. And the, these loans made to the the person, Jim Justice, a company, or his campaign. Just to yeah, clarify, to the, to the person, Jim Justice, and so it is listed as a personal liability on the form that, that Justice filled out. So two lines. Uh, the the most information they give is a window of the amount. It's, it's redeemable, the debt, to Bray Carey at a 10% beyond what the loan was. Uh, so, so potentially, you know, there's interest there, essentially. Uh, and then it says that it gives a date. It was August 31st, 2021. Uh, Bray Carey left the administration as senior advisor, left on July 13th, 2021. So he was out by then. 
Uh, and and at that same time, the same time he was departing, Kerry was appointed by justice to the WVU Board of Governors, where, lucky him, he's involved in this entire mess with the financing at WVU. What a, what a prize. So the uh, timing is interesting. Are you Are you in some way making a connection that this loan came out and then uh, Bray Carey was appointed? Well, I'm thinking through it. I, I am not necessarily making a connection. I, you know, I'm like anybody. When I see this, I think, well, how did that go down? I mean, there are several things I wonder. Why, why did Justice need that amount of money? His debts range potentially in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So why do you specifically have an urgent need for somewhere between 2 and $10 million? Uh, how then, Marcia, do you ask, uh, let's say, Luke, mm. how do you sit down with Luke and say, hey, I have, I have an urgent need. Could you help somebody out? I think I'd just sit down and say, Luke, I, could you spare a million and a half for me? Would the, you know? The answer is no. <laughs> then, then, you know, I, what I wonder is, um, is, is Bray Carey just a nice guy? Is he super generous? Is, is he the kind of person, Marcia, that you would want as a friend if you were in need? Um, or, you know, could there be a reasonable expectation that, that, that you would be helped out too? So these are things I wonder. Um, I, I, I'm looking at it kind of on a, a, a human nature viewpoint. Just asking I, I the questions. I the answers. I do not know the answers. Well, something that you kind of touched on already, but in dealing with this report being filed by Senate candidates or senators in the past, uh, is it fair to say that, like you said, he kind of pushed the, the boundaries and the deadlines uh, a little bit past the norm? And has there been or was there a reaction leading up until this point that people may be perceiving that he had something that he was trying to hide? Well, justice is in two hot races. And one is the primary election against Congressman Alex Mooney. And Mooney is aggressive in his own right and, and has built up a pretty substantial war chest in terms of his own campaign financing. Mooney also has political allies. Club for Growth is standing ready uh, to lay millions of dollars down on this race to try to uh, move the Senate to the farther right wing. Furthermore, Justice is up against potentially – coming into the general election, the incumbent, Joe Manchin. Who hasn't uh, decided who has, yet. Yeah, well, yeah, we're all waiting. But the, the assumption is by by us and uh, the, the Democratic supporters at the national level that it could be Manchin. So both of those political entities, Mooney and his allies, and then the Democrats at the national level, I can tell you, were really waiting for this report. And I think we'll see more about their reactions, probably in terms of statements that they issue. But it very well could go into the fodder of, uh, of advertisements. You know, the, the, I don't know what they will say, but one of the messages could be that, uh, you know, justice can't pay his bills. Similar stuff to what you've seen in the past in terms of. Uh, negative ads. Our guest this morning is Metro News statewide correspondent Brad McElhaney. Uh, obviously, hats off, kudos to you to going through this uh, enormous amount of information and distilling it down for the readers. But I, I just one question that might be on the minds of some of the folks listening too. Um, you, you mentioned that this information can be used uh, to inform a voter to say, you know, if if I know this about the candidate, uh, what action should I take at the at the ballot box? But would someone being in heavy debt, uh, even having claims against him, uh, preclude him from 
from running? Would it would it be a non-starter? Could he be eliminated uh, because of debt? You know, I, I I think it is not necessarily something that you would have to step out of a campaign about or or, or, or say this person is not eligible uh, to be a to be a senator. I, I don't think that is the case, but. A question could be generally: um, Do heavy liabilities, heavy debt, put this person at risk of being influenced by whoever the debt is to? Uh, so, for example, going into this before it was released, Democrats at the national level were asking: Does Justice have any debt to Russian interests? And that is based on Justice selling years ago his coal companies to the Russian company Mikkel for something like $500 million and then buying back the companies at a much reduced rate for, for $5 million. So the question among Democrats who are adversaries politically of justice was, is there any remaining Russian influence in his debts? I do not see it here. It's not apparent to me. So. Let me just clear that up, listeners. I, I don't see it in this filing. Um, but, but that's the kind of thing where this is meant to be an effort toward transparency. And, and if there were debt to something that's, you know, an, an entity that, is, that could leverage that debt to influence the senator, uh, that, would be, that would be a question that would be natural for people. But there's also been an ongoing American conversation about the ownership of, of particular stocks by America's elected figures. And do they translate their knowledge uh, in their role as, as Congress people uh, to getting good stock deals and knowing when to get out, that kind of thing. And again, I don't see that at play here in what justice has, but, but that's a tool that, that people can use to determine if, if that kind of factor might be at play. Well, uh, Brad, I should point out that embedded in your article is a link to the uh, the document that Senator Joe Manchin also had to present uh, as part of that requirement as well. So you can check all that out at wvmetronews.com. And Luke has another question for you. Well, I just before we let you go, Brad, uh, another thing on the website that has your byline on it is uh, some, some quotes from uh, Senator Capito about the deadline approaching for a potential government shutdown and the, and the word that you used in the uh, in the title of the article was pessimistic. So uh, kind of the situation from the, the comments that we were able to catch from Senator Capito. We have heard from Capito a couple of times. And of course, the nation is approaching Saturday is the deadline to get some sort of national allocation legislation in place to avoid a government shutdown. And she characterizes herself as, as typically an optimist in personality. But Everything she reads here, particularly in the House of Representatives, the body she used to serve in, uh, indicates that, that there's just nothing near a deal that Speaker Kevin McCarthy faces, uh, you know, some some difficult choices in his own caucus uh, from from hardliners who want even deeper government cuts that probably would not be accepted by the Senate or the White House, but also moderates in the caucus over there who just want to avoid a shutdown. So Capito is kind of watching the other chamber where she really has no influence uh, with a growing sense of being ill at ease about where this is all headed. And West Virginia has uh, plenty of federal 
interests that, that potentially could be affected. Uh, the National Park at Harpers Ferry, the new National Park at uh, the New River Gorge, um, federal offices like the Bureau of Public Debt in Parkersburg, the FBI Fingerprint Center in Clarksburg. Uh, her worry is anyone on Social Security, which would apply to a lot of West Virginians, uh, but I, I, I haven't seen anything solid about what might happen to Social Security checks, so take this with a grain of salt when I say it, listeners. But, but her worry is that there may be some delays in those checks that people count on. Uh, it's, it's within the realm of a legitimate worry, but I don't know that there's anything solid yet. So, you know, Capito thinking about West Virginians who have an interest in seeing the functions of the federal government not disrupted and getting increasingly worried. Well, Brad McElhaney of WVMetroNews.com, I know you're going to be on with Hoppy coming up at uh, 1033, so we appreciate you uh, giving us the time, and uh, I'm sure Hoppy's going to be asking you a lot of the same questions, and uh, we appreciate you uh, joining us this morning. Oh, thanks, guys. I hope he says he loves me. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Certainly pass that along. If he doesn't, we do. Come on, Brad. Thanks for coming on. Okay. Bye, you guys. Take care. And uh, we'll come back with the final segment of Panhandle Live in just a moment. We're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Now, back to Panhandle Live. final segment of Panhandle Live here on uh, this Tuesday, the 26th of September. And a reminder that Country Roads Tire and Auto is powering Panhandle Live, taking you home with full-service auto care with a higher level of care with two locations to proudly serve you in Martinsburg, Hedgesville, and online, too, at countryroadstireandauto.com. So uh, if you if you didn't get enough Brad McElhaney during that last segment, as we mentioned, uh, he's going to be on talking about the opioid settlement with, uh, and I'm sure other things, too, with Hoppy, uh, because there's been some controversy because uh, when there's a big settlement, there's a lot of money that goes to attorneys anyway, and I think uh, there's a criticism that uh, some of this money that is meant uh, to go towards healing, you know, communities is uh, a, a good chunk is going to the attorneys. He's got an, uh, an article about that at Metro News also, so you can follow his work. Listen uh, as he distills all that down with Hoppy uh, a little later today. Absolutely, and we also have. Uh some pertinent news to get to as well that we'll be featuring throughout our newscast this afternoon. Um, the Monday night's Jefferson County Board of Education meeting where we were able to hear from uh, Deputy Superintendent of Operations, Joyce White. We requested of the SBA additional funds in the amount of $2,682,960 to aid in the funding of the new school. On September 18th, 2023, the West Virginia Board of Ed awarded us an additional SBA funding amount of $2,682,960 for the new Shepherdstown Elementary School. Black history is prevalent throughout Jefferson County, West Virginia. The Paige Jackson High School tribute exhibit is a room with such an account and is currently being updated for the first time in over 20 years. The room is in the original high school building which is now serving as the Jefferson County Board of Education office. The room is a permanent exhibit of the accomplishment and activities of the staff, teachers, and students of Paige Jackson High School. Also at the Board of Education meeting, Lieutenant Williams made a presentation about school safety, and he talked about several components, including hold secure and lockdown. This is a move that the county has moved towards, and you'll actually see in the standards by the FBI. A lot of the information that I share in my parent meetings or any other safety training that I do is from the FBI. Just keep it simple. 
go with what the professionals are using. We need our teachers to think because an environment is different. Every school has its own differences. And why tell a teacher that they have to stay in a, a room when they can get outside of the building? We try to empower our staff to make the best decision that they can, given the environment and the situation that they're dealing with. And lastly, we heard from Mr. Banks, who gave uh, the board a state of assessment results for Jefferson County Schools. And uh, spoiler alert, apparently it's all good news. Concerns that you can see right away are that in grade three and grade four, the state exceeds Jefferson County in mathematics. As you move up into the middle school grades, you'll notice the improvement across grades six, seven, and eight in mathematics. So in the previous slide, you saw that we were below the state average. The good news is, if you look at grade three, you'll see a significant increase over last year. So despite the fact that grade three was uh, below the state average, we had a significant increase of seven percentage points in third grade math. I take it back, not all of it was good. So it's comparatively speaking. Yeah. And and obviously statewide, uh, municipality-wide, there is a big concern about student progress and those uh, summative assessments. And I know they've been working hard uh, to, to try to mitigate that. Um, we've, we're in partnership, kind of a neat uh, thing for veterans. Uh, and you can access information about it on our uh, website. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now through the 9th of October, you can celebrate Freedom Day USA with uh, Tuscarora Sedation and Cosmetic Dentistry in Martinsburg. Uh, they're offering free dental cleaning exams, x-rays, or limited exams with filling or an extraction to all local veterans and active duty military. So you can find more information on this on our various stations' websites. And we've been running promos on it on our mm -hmm. stations and the other stations. So an opportunity uh, to get some free dental work done if you're a veteran. And again, keep listening to these same stations for more information, or you can get it from our websites as well. Absolutely. Hopefully we have time for this. The Herald Mail had this great piece this morning. Washington County man takes coworkers shopping at AC&T. So like, let's go get some, some chicken and wins $100,000 from the Maryland lottery on a, on a scratch off. There you go. You Read walk more. in with a, trying to get a $12 bucket of chicken, you walk mm -hmm. out with a hundred grand. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And it's very nice that he was there helping his coworkers, but um, yeah, they're going to want, they're going to want free lunch for a while now. <laughs> I was going to say, Leo, you're going to say the buckets of chicken in the future on that guy for at least the next couple of weeks. <laughs> Absolutely. But you'd read more at the Herald Mail on that one. Well, again, if you missed any or part of today's show, it'll be posted later on our Panhandle Live uh, Facebook and Spotify pages. And stay tuned for the top of the hour. We've got Hoppy Kirchville. Brad McElhaney will be rolling along through at 1033 along with the other guests that Hoppy has today. But for Marsha, I've been Luke Wiggs, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. WEPM Martinsburg and WCST Berkeley Springs, a WVRC media station. We're proud to live here too.